Hello everyone. I am Shruti and I have with me Ishan. We are going to be your host for today's episode. To begin with, today we have with us an alumni who took this exciting path and we are honored to know how he did it and what challenges he faced along with it. Please welcome Mr. Arpit Chaturvedi. He is a SMHRD alumni, went on to do masters at Cornell in public policy and politics and is currently CEO and co- insights. With years of expertise in public policy domain, we have a lot to learn from him today. So grab on your earphones and be ready. Hello, Arpit, and welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much, Shruti and team. Uh, It's always good to be talking to my alma mater and uh, happy to be on this podcast today. Okay. Uh, Career in public policy is a very far-fetched dream for a lot of us, especially Mm -hmm. uh, students from MBA background. So can you talk a little bit about your stint at Cornell and how did you go about pursuing masters in MBA? Sure. Uh, I think this was certainly not planned an MBA program at SCMHRD uh, from a bachelor's in history. So I was one of the very few people who was coming from an uh, from a humanities background, which was not economics. And uh, what I realized was that, uh, you know, in human resource management, there was a bit of psychology, there was a bit of sociology, etc. And I realized that, you know, uh, human resource management as a specialization makes a lot of sense to me. And while I was at SCMHRD, I interned uh, at Philips in a factory uh, just right okay. outside of Pune at Chakan. And uh, I, uh, the idea was, uh, you know, to uh, create uh, a culture for uh, the laborers over there, which was more closer to the Philips culture since this was an acquired plant. So, uh, you know, uh, that obviously involved a lot of uh, thinking about how do you uh, bring in aspects of sociology, bring in aspects of psychology, blend it together and, uh, you know, uh, create a culture. Uh, Now, that got me uh, very interested in the more, you know, uh, applied side of uh, human resource management and uh, things which are related to, uh, as I said, uh, socially oriented stuff. And then uh, I started working as a consultant. Uh, I got placed after SCMHRD, uh, started working in a talent management consulting uh, firm. But in a year, uh, I got terribly bored of it. I uh, was in a position where I was almost like that person who doesn't have a vision and who's uh, just willing to get out of where uh, they are from, uh, where they're in. (laughs) And uh, I'm sure it happens to many of us and a lot of us, uh, due to various reasons, they stick around and they don't get the right opportunity to uh, jump out. And this was also the time when I started thinking that, you know, I've worked worked on this culture stuff. I can probably, you know, uh, work with schools because education was something I was always passionate about. And I thought that I'll set up my own firm, set up my own organization, work with schools and try to, uh, you know, Sell them the idea that, you know, what differentiates one school from another is not just the buildings or the facilities, it's the culture. Uh, And I started, you know, uh, talking to a number of schools already. But then at that point of time, my dad got a ticket uh, to fight for a member of parliament uh, election uh, from Ferozabad, from the Indian National Congress. Yeah. and uh, I thought that, OK, let me uh, put this business idea on hold and let me, uh, you know, uh, work in managing the campaign. And I jumped into it and I 
worked for about three to four months in the campaign, and that was probably the hardest I worked in my life. And that was, uh, <laughs> no, I was uh, working for probably just uh, I was sleeping for probably just three, three and a half hours in a day, uh, okay. consistently over three months. But I was still as energetic as uh, when I uh, woke up every morning. So I thought that this is probably the thing that I want to work in, and I realized that you know my real need was to have a clear line of sight between my work and the impact it has on people so that is when i decided that you know uh, i i want to uh, probably work in the public policy field broadly and i started uh, applying to a number of places i got this opportunity to uh, work at the national commission for scheduled caste and obviously you know the mba training came in very handy over there i helped them create a vision and mission then i okay. started uh, working on non hr stuff your policy stuff so uh, but then also broadly if you see it was in some uh, cases it was related to hr so i wrote a report with them on uh, the state of labor oppression in uh, uttar pradesh and uh, okay. since i worked with laborers i could understand you know how uh, labor could function in various sectors and this was informal sector brick kiln industry so the operation of scheduled and then i got an opportunity to work with a member of parliament uh, had a great experience over there working uh, you know on legislative agenda uh, answering legislative queries and stuff like that and then i thought that you know uh, okay setting up a business or setting up an educational consulting firm was already put on hold because of all of this which was happening yeah. i thought might as well you know uh, get myself a degree from uh, you know a premier institution in public policy so that's the time when i applied to cornell and uh, i applied to a number of places i got into most of them and uh, <laughs> eventually cornell uh, made the most sense to me so i joined the degree program over there and that was the journey if that's what you wanted to ask so that was a long answer yeah. to your question that this was the very you know unplanned circuitous sort of a journey was an mpa yes that that's quite interesting i mean it's kind of a dream to work with member of parliament and it feels like a very far fetched to even think about something like this no i can tell you one thing uh, i think that mba folks all across the country they uh, are super talented people in terms of you know how they organize work around them how they approach uh, various tasks you know simple stuff such as so you create a goal you break it down into objectives you create a strategy on how you're going to pursue it the simple stuff is uh, still rare in the political management and uh, policy right. management and now yeah. it's not as rare as it used to be but then still i think that there's a lot of uh, benefit that uh, the policy sector can derive from people who are trained in uh, an mba or an mpa things like that right so uh, tell me what are the career prospect after pursuing masters in public administration like and uh, i'm sure there is a difference between doing it from say a jnu and uh, doing it from a ivy league college mm -hmm. so uh, like uh, can you talk a little bit about the difference and the career aspect post this program sure uh, i mean i think you know in india right now uh, there are a number of uh mpa programs i don't think jnu has one yet but then there okay. are number of them uh, cropping up in india and i think some of them are pretty good as well i think the challenge over there right now in the indian system is that it's still uh, you know uh, it hasn't 
matured to that level where some of these institutions may be global enough in their perspective uh some of the institutions uh, in india uh, you know they don't offer you so many electives most of the courses that are offered are just compulsory courses that you have to take or there are a couple of electives here and there outside uh, the difference is that you have people from all over the world from all levels of uh, you know the government private sector non profits coming there to teach you to interact with you so Yeah. you'll get people who've been senators or who've been labor secretaries you've been uh, you'll get people who are from the asia development bank you'll get people who've oh, been wow. in the indian administrative services the world bank so uh, like folks like kaushik basu who was uh, the chief economic advisor of india then uh, he was the uh, vice president of the world bank these folks were uh, teaching us over there Amazing. so that's amazing obviously there's a great difference in uh, the faculty there's a great difference in uh, how international these programs are and the kind of freedom that they give you is amazing yeah. and uh, the quality of research that's happening in these places yeah yeah so uh, just a general follow up question on what you just said i'm sure that most of our listeners after you know hearing what you just said in terms of the vast opportunities and the immense exposure you get at such institutions they feel inclined towards you know pursuing um, public policy as a field but there seems to be a general perception in the market that you have to have a strong you know economics or social sciences background be uh, academically or professionally to pursue the same so do you think that uh, it is necessary to have a specific degree in the same field and if not what could be the different channels through which we can you know pursue uh, the public like public policy as a career So I think, see, in India, public policy, I call it an industry in the making. So uh, it's a field of uh, disparate uh, opportunities. It is still now being woven into and developed into an industry, really. Now, if you look at it in terms of qualifications, I always tell this that there is no person in the world who is not touched with public policy. Whether you're a doctor, or you're uh, a corporate manager, or you're a techie. or you're working on a grassroots ngo even if you've just been through the education system you've been touched through public policy you've been touched through education policy over there if you have visited a government hospital or uh, you know whatever we were seeing during the covid pandemic was part of health policy and you know we realized that uh, the kind of deficiencies we have in our health infrastructure were revealed at that point of time and that is a public policy problem the difference over there is that you know a lot of people ask me the question that okay what's the difference between an mba and an mpa and i tell them that typically the difference is that in an mba you are told you're taught how to make an organization successful and in an mpa you're taught how to make a particular uh, policy outcome successful wherein many stakeholders and many organizations would be involved so right. uh, the idea over here was that you know anybody can get into public policy in fact we run a fellowship called the gpods fellowship uh, or the global policy diplomacy and sustainability fellowship and we get people from indian business schools from uh, the iims or you know iits etc to come in and join us as fellows we also get people from harvard from upen to join us as fellows and many of these folks they haven't worked in public policy at all earlier but then after you know they understand the basics of policy design management basics of how international political economy works the fundamentals of sustainable development so in that three year program that we offer uh, and you know one is to sort of start 
soon the applications are still up they get a fair understanding and realize their own niche in public policy so uh, you know we've had somebody who's again i think a simple bsc from delhi university now working with from india working with a firm in the us uh, on blockchain and sustainability so you know you don't have to have economics or you don't have to have a, a social sciences degree to study public policy in fact most of the people in the public policy sphere may not have an econ or a social sciences background although eventually you'll have to learn a little bit of economics you'll have to learn a little bit of statistics but uh, it's not rocket science really okay so uh, if we talk about the ecosystem in our country uh, like the, like we know niti ayog uh, is one of the influencing uh, mainstream policy making uh, yes. organization in india which influences a lot of things so how would you compare this ecosystem versus what is happening in a very very developed nation as to say usa sure and i'll club this answer with your earlier question which i did not answer about the opportunities in public policy which are available so right. see the difference right now between india and the us is that in india we are still in a particular system where the government and the businesses they don't coincide or they don't work hand in hand with each other only a top few businesses work in hand in hand Uh, with the government but typically the government is the regulator and the businesses are the ones who are regulated upon maximum the business would share interest with the government is that you know they might help them with some elections or uh, you know they might be able to lobby for a policy or stuff like that right so now in india what's happening is that we've had a few think tanks so niti aayog is obviously the government's primary policy body and it operates like think tank for all the right reasons now if you look at the us for example so in the us there are number of niti aayog like agencies so there's the us government accountability office which is which could be uh, you know similar to the cag over here but then they not just work on budgets they also do a number of studies so they are like internal consultants to the government who do a number of studies on uh, finding out which policies of the government have produced nice outcomes What which is have, it? so they are like the in- internal consultants to the government for many purposes and you no know, each of the department has a number of such bodies such organizations so each of the ministry in a way if i were to put it uh, in simple terms has a think tank of its own but not only that there is a fair bit of exchange between out of the government think tanks and the ministry okay so that's uh, you know the level 2 of development level 1 of development is that they have a number of bodies such as niti aayog each ministry level 2 of development is that they have a lot of uh, outside of the government non partisan think tanks as well okay so think tanks research organizations things like these so okay. that's that's level 2 of the government over here level 3 uh, you know distinction over there is that in india also if you see that there are number of think tanks you have which are working on pure security there are think tanks who are working on pure uh, macroeconomics financial policy etc etc so in india what happens is that there'll be a think tank they will be working let's say if i am a think tank i'm working with the tech ministry then i'll all my efforts will be focused towards just advising the ministry okay right right now the level 3 which is there in uh, the us and many other european countries like germany is 
that the think tanks are playing a dual purpose they are not just a group of researchers who are giving policy advice to a ministry they are sort of a node between the public and the ministry so they will communicate the public's desire bring evidence for what the public needs for a particular policy and they will communicate that to the ministry and they will also do the opposite communication if the ministry is coming up with an innovative policy then they'll also you know uh, mentally prepare or quote unquote sell the policy to the public that okay this is something which is happening this is good or this is bad or whatever so it's a two way okay. street over there in that think tank and then these think tanks are uh, again very closely related to these uh, you know embedded in the university higher education system over there in fact some universities have their own you know uh, they host the think tanks on their campuses so in a way what you see is that the government the universities the think tank they are all working hand in hand and it's almost like a revolving door that where one day i could be in the government tomorrow you know uh, when i'm outside the government i'll work with a think tank after a while i'll start teaching a course in a university so it's or after a while i'll again be called for a state government's bureaucracy or something like that so okay. you know, there's a revolving door over here which we don't have really in india in india we have you know very limited you know uh, very narrow uh, interactions that way okay i think yeah. uh, that was a really insightful answer because uh, and i'm sure when i say this you'll agree with me that due to you know limited exposure towards the field the opportunities that we have in uh, public policy generally lie in a gray area but you like shed plenty of light and i'm sure it will help you know our yeah. listeners um, be much more clear about the field so the next question i'd like to ask you is that uh, we are also aware that you were you know the co-founder of global project insights so can you please talk a little bit about it in terms of when did you start and what was the inspiration behind it and also uh, what is the vision you hold for the same sure see the thing is that when i was working with this member of parliament we had a great working relationship and she was uh, obviously a great mentor uh, for me and we started thinking about this idea that you know uh, we don't have enough think tanks in india and we don't have enough places like politicians would talk about a particular policy and that policy would be forgotten but then the role of a think tank is to keep giving enough fodder to the politicians that they can you know talk about policies which are relevant to the public so for example you know one policy that uh, i talk a lot about is that we don't have enough action for our senior citizens in our country we don't have a ministry for the senior citizens and 30 years down the line you'll have 20% of the population who will be elderly so what are you going to do about that create a ministry in 2050 when the pop, uh, when the population problem is right there on your head or you want to create a ministry build muscle right now so some of these agendas are kept alive by think tanks and you know uh, things such as you know they are sort of the link between research and government and what i realized was that okay i don't want to be a bureaucrat because that's a very limited sort of a role even though it's quite glorified in india you know uh, bureaucrats they have to work right. in very well defined structure they have their own limits etc etc that raw power that we uh, think of Uh, in the movies etc that becomes old after a while you know that becomes limited after a while so i didn't want to become a bureaucrat and then i did not also want to become a full time politician because politicians uh, are you know running on a five year to five year election cycle at the end right. of the day 
so i wanted to contribute in a way where i can work on long term policies unlike journalism where you know uh, one thing happens and you start covering that then another thing happens you start covering that every day you know you're just going with the trend i wanted to stick with some long term agendas which are necessary for the development of uh, the country and not just the country but the whole of the you know lot of developing countries so i thought that and not to do that in an antagonistic manner in a you know north south divide sort of a thing uh, but along with them so that's why you know i uh, collaborated with a number of uh, professors from all over the world i collaborated with uh, folks back here in india and i set up this think tank in 2018 and we okay. are set up now in uh, the india uh, the U- in india the uk and the us you know that brings in the more you know knowledge sharing and collaborative part because you know now things are more networked and you know that's the way that we will develop in the future so that was one thing that i was do uh, you know i set it up and then what i realized was that in india if we want to uh, get some of these things done the fundamental question for india i still think today is that a it is the question of uh, climate change and sustainability and b is the question of how you're going to figure out your place in the great power competition between china and the us i think okay these two questions all of the answers or all of the related questions emerge yeah and, and the thing was that i realized that we still have a lot to do in terms of educating people about these things so now while we're producing a lot of research we are consulting private sector agencies we are consulting people in the government at various levels we also started identifying and understanding what is the need for uh, you know a global education of sorts even if you know uh, that education is from a short term perspective and that's how we came up with this fellowship called the global policy diplomacy and sustainability fellowship where we brought together a number of organizations so global policy insights was one then envipol an environmental consulting firm was one which is also founded by another symbiosis graduate from the symbiosis law school who later went on to stanford he uh, has set up this environmental firm over there and then ancssc which is part of the un united nations south south cooperation so these three came together and we started this program where you know it's almost like a mini ivy league uh, program in public policy diplomacy and sustainability wherein you bring in experts uh, such as the under secretary generals of the united state uh, of the uh, united uh, nations then various diplomats from all over the world fortune 500 ceos you know ministers advisors to ministers folks like those who come in and they train a group of people so you know uh, we have fellows uh, coming in from india from germany from sweden from new caledonia us all of these places coming in for a uh, thrice in a year three months period so we have three cohorts in a year and they okay. get trained by all of these people uh, from the un from uh, you know uh, the diplomatic corps from you know all of these uh, ministries etc to really emerge as leaders who can think and have agencies on issues around public policy diplomacy and sustainability and you know uh, so far we've been able to get some amazing people from all over the world like something that's going to happen uh, just in a couple of days we have people you know from india partners of bcg partners of kpmg and all of these places and xpo from the bill and melinda gates foundation 
coming in and talking about the state of public policy, sustainability and the government of India from a business perspective. So they're going to be talking about that and we've made this event open. We have, you know, people like the UN uh, permanent representative to, of Croatia, uh, who's going to be talking about uh, how peacekeeping is done, what's the, you know, training and politics uh, and the economics that goes around uh, maintaining peace and conflict zones and stuff like that. So the idea is that once we start getting educated in these things, we right. will start doing our businesses, we will start doing our uh, public service, we will start doing in ways which will be dealing with the two, which would be equipped enough to deal with the two major questions that what is India's place in the world in terms of independently, but also in terms of the US-China great power competition that, you know, are we going to be squashed between these two giants? Uh, or are we going to, uh, you know, take the opportunity to strengthen ourselves like the US did after the First and Second World War? So it's a high risk and a high uh, benefit sort of a game for us over there. So that's one. And the second thing is how are we going to, uh, you know, deal with our climate crisis? Because if our water, you know, runs right. out, you know, it's not portable or if, uh, you know, uh, rivers like the Ganga, etc., you will not be able to drink any water from that. Then uh, imagine we are one-fifth of the world population, a teeny tiny population like Afghanistan or Iraq because right. of lack of resources or bad manage of, management of resources when the gov governance structures, etc., they explode over there, then there is such massive chaos in the world. If I'm telling you uh, things like, you know, uh, if our major rivers, etc., they are not, you know, they eventually turn into the sewage uh, nalas that you know uh, industries are making them we will have a very serious problem in this world so you know it's important that and the good thing is that a lot of businesses are responding to this a lot of businesses are seriously working towards sustainability and what we are bringing in are the best of the experts and a leadership cohort who can work with the businesses to make them more sustainable and also more profitable. Sustainability should not mean degrowth. We should make it more profitable in a more sustainable manner. And uh, how is the tough question? And that's where we come in and answering those tough questions. Okay, so diving a little deeper into what program you have mentioned. So can you tell me what if I were to enroll into it, what kind of project uh, do we get to work upon? And uh, does your think tank do consulting or end-to-end -end solutioning? For example, does a uh, man, parliament member or a politician come to you with, you know, a policy or a research background that they want your opinion on? And uh, how do you measure the impact of what work or the recommendations that your think tank provides them? Certainly, that's a great question. Now, what we do is that we work with a series of clients. We work with private sector organizations. So, in fact, you know, uh, with one of the uh, largest automobile manufacturing companies in India, we've been working on creating a more sustainable skill development policy for them and, you know, mapping their skill development policy to the government of India's skill development policies. So, okay. you know, that's the private sector sort of a thing. So that's purely strategy consulting. What we also do is for the private sector, if they want to understand that, okay, if they are going to be spending some amount of money in CSR, then what's the most sensible expenditure in CSR they can make? What NGOs okay. should they partner with? How should they measure impact and things like that? So that too we do. 
a lot of it is obviously as you said it's working with legislators uh, it could be mps it could be mayors it could be uh, mlas and we would work with them on you know it depends there are so many different types of problems that come in so one could be that an mp has uh, probably talked about a bill in the parliament but then in the parliament there are so many bills that are being talked about uh, how does right. it catch media attention or how does it catch more public attention so this mp now wants to write an op-ed so we help the mp draft an op-ed get that published in the right places get that you know noticed by the right people so that it kind of gets uh, at the forefront of the government agenda that's also one thing that we do other stuff that we do is that let's say you know there's a particular developmental project that a member of parliament is uh, undertaking or a member of legislative assembly is undertaking so you know how do we ensure that this project would really meet the needs of the people over there whether this project will be designed in the way that it delivers impact and things like that so we do that so that's on you know a more of a consulting basis what we also do is that there are certain things that we are typically interested in so we are typically interested in public participation in governance so things like you know we must have heard about the mohalla sabhas in delhi uh, with the delhi government but then there are various models of that in the world how do you right. directly involve people in governance and we educate politicians parliamentarians etc on as to how do you do that and what we also do is to you know educate them and educate the public at large on various international relations issues and how it impacts them over here locally so for example you might know that because of what has happened in afghanistan recently there are a number of security issues but then let me talk about a trade issue because i think the mba audience would understand it a lot better <laughs> that 50% of india's trade from afghanistan has been stopped yes. uh, because of taliban taking over and more or less not exactly but more or less that has completely shifted to pakistan now okay okay now that has an impact on uh, let's say let's assume that the trade was happening in textile okay let's say we were sending out textile over there let's say we were bringing in dry fruits from there okay now the importers of dry fruits they will be impacted uh, negatively because now you know you have the season of diwali and all of that coming up and you know they'll only be able to sell uh, in limited quantities and that too at a much higher price they'll have to look at new sources from where they get their stuff similarly let's say if in india was exporting textile over there now those factories which were exporting to afghanistan or those retailers or whoever was the sales channel was exporting to afghanistan now they have to find some other market they either have to explore domestically or they have to find some other country to export their stuff to so these create economic challenges now when there are economic challenges you need policies to support these transitions if you don't have these policies right. it might turn into a political problem so those how some of these international issues impact what's happening locally on the ground is something that we because typically people don't think like that even policy makers don't think like that so we need to explain this stuff to them and a lot right. of times things that they are doing so interesting stuff let's say happening in the space policy front and we need to explain it to the public that you know this is not something which is just uh, you know expenditure for the sake of pride uh, this will have real economic benefits as well so those are also the kind of things that we take up uh, when we do but then you know it, it 
really varies every every day every month there's new stuff that comes in that way yeah every client is different every problem statement is different certainly and the thing is that we don't even wait for clients and problem statements if we think that there's a problem uh, then we go to people and we tell them that hey this is a problem over here so yeah right so just just a uh, counter question like um, how exactly the impact measure i mean these these things have you know a very far fetched timeline for pe- the politicians or the government to implement it right and uh, well it's hard to explain that in a short while because typically we take full fledged courses in impact uh, program design and impact okay. assessment in fact i took two courses on that and uh, that was still just covering the basics i know of my other colleagues who have taken you know uh, five to six courses on this particular thing it's a okay. very hard question. but let's just to put it mildly what you measure in most of the cases is what's the output that i'm creating so output is really in the control of the agent or the firm or you know the mp's office whoever is doing something can only create output so let's say i can get let's say my problem is in my town that there is there are a lot of healthcare issues over here or there are a lot of cardiac issues over here okay okay hypothetically speaking now what i can do uh, if i am a member of parliament or if i am an ngo whatever the impact i want to create is that you know uh, our town has a healthier population now what i can do is that you know as an output i can create more hospital beds as an output i can create a number of educational programs that tells them about diet exercise and things like that all of that that i'll be doing the trainings you know the capacity building in terms of hospital beds or if i create a joggers park all of these are outputs this is something that i have done from my end based on a theory that i have that okay if i do if i create these systems people will eventually you know be more healthy and people will eventually take up a healthier lifestyle and the healthcare numbers uh, the bad numbers would come down that's my right. theory change that's typically based on a lot of prior research literature reviews etc so now right. the output has been generated now the output will have certain outcomes so if i have enough hospital beds uh, that means that you know the sick patients are tended to if i have the joggers park i would assume that you know people would start making use of that they'll start jogging in that joggers park if i'm doing this educational program on healthy diet etc then people will actually start consuming healthy diets so outcomes are you know i have put the outputs in place outcomes are my expectations that you know this output will create right. this outcome right? right that's not totally in my control okay but right. i will try to bring in everything together so maybe joggers park i've created now with the educational program i would hope that people will actually start jogging and they'll start working on their diet so outcome is external and then impact is even more long term right so arpit you would like to you know wrap this incredibly informative and insightful session up by just a final question sure. uh, which would be what would be your recommendations uh, in, uh, you know to our listeners in case they wish to pursue careers in public policy and is there like any way we can pursue any opportunities in terms of internships or projects so that we can spend the profiles for the same 
Absolutely. I think there are many paths of entering a public policy career. You would know that now even all of your Ubers, all of your Amazons, uh, they have public policy teams even in India. I think the ways to do that is that, yes, get the right internships, get the right research uh, behind you. So, you know, write about policy topics that you think are relevant. You can always reach out to me and I can, uh, you know, help you find a place to publish it. If it is relevant to our think tank, then we might also consider publishing it. Do fellowships like you have the GPOTS fellowship, you have a number of other fellowships. So join, you know, these leadership programs, join courses, uh, which would, you know, teach you about public policy. These could be short courses. Like I told you, three uh, we offer in our fellowships, but there are a number of other you know, online courses as well. So uh, join those courses. And I think the holy grail for working in public policy is, you know, closely identify uh, and track places where public policy is being formed. So which means that, you know, read court judgments, read, uh, you know, parliamentary proceedings, uh, read what okay. questions are parliamentarians uh, asking. And then you'll once you start getting into that habit, you'll uh, or read government reports, then you'll start understanding. Okay, this is where my interest sort of fits in, and I can do something over there. So, Arpit, I would like to thank you from the entire college and alumni relations team for taking out time and talking to us. This is incredible. We never get to speak to someone who has made a career and studied from Ivy League, and you know founded his own company like this in public policy domain this is such a privilege to have you on our podcast no thank you so thank much you i so much. enjoyed speaking with you guys and i'll look forward to the publication of this podcast yes thank you Arpit. perfect thanks